Good morning, Finn Maniacs. Welcome to another edition of the Outsiders Podcast, and we'll try to bring you some inside information, but definitely some hardcore Dolphin news and fans with Chip Turner and Sean Williams. And without further ado, we'll bring in half of the Outsiders, Chip Turner. Take it away, Chip. Good morning, Jason and Sean. Um, been one week, well, since last night was one week since the Dolphins made their First draft pick in the 2021 NFL draft, and it was we were both there. Got some great audio and some some video clips from Dolphins fans who were in attendance in Cleveland. Um, and it was cold and blustery the first two days, and I know we were both we both thought we were ready for the the Cleveland weather, and we got a little bit little bit cold, a little bit chilled. Um, it was a pleasant experience on the third day. It was really nice and sunny, but the big news uh, that we're going to get to first is the release of Bobby McCain, um, which is unfortunate, uh, but necessary in my opinion. What are your thoughts on it, Sean? Yeah, I'm going to be um, an outsider, pun intended, on this one. I I just, I think we're, um, actually, let me preface this by saying, I know that one of the things Bill Belichick has always been lauded for is his ability to get rid of a player a year earlier than uh, maybe he he needs to and he's really good at that and yada 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 and I don't care um I think it's going to be really tough to to replicate what what Bobby brought to the team apart from just playing football he was the longest tenured dolphin he was the heart the soul the captain the leader uh, and he's pretty much held that role since Cam Wake has left, in my opinion. Uh, it's just been like a, a, a maturation process to the point where, like, he's the hype guy. He's the guy who gets them going before the game starts. He's the guy after the game that gets them all hyped up after a win. Um, I just – I don't love it. And I I, I understand, oh, we got to save money. We got to sign the draft class. Well, we already had $11 million in cap space free. We only needed about twelve. There's other guys that don't have that same effect on the roster that we could have cut. Uh, $7 million is just not that much to me. I don't think he was overpaid for his production. Uh, he's the guy who, who keeps offenses from having huge plays deep down the field. Um, does he have mistakes? Sure. Uh, does Xavier Howard have mistakes? Yeah. Uh, every player I think has mistakes. Tom Brady th- throws picks. He's thrown two to Xavier Howard in the same, same game, I believe. So he's not perfect, but what he brought to the team that had nothing to do with football to me alone is worth probably half that $7 million. Um, and you get plenty of that value in the other half of the $7 million. So I don't love it. Uh, I know they brought Jason McCordy in great. He's a 12 year veteran. So not great. Um, I know you know he's familiar with Brian Flores. I, I don't know what to expect from him at this point in his career. I don't know where he's going to line up. I don't know if he's going to free safety. I don't know if he's going to nickel. Um, I just, if, if we got through next season and Javon Holland had his year to develop and play a role for a year, not take the whole shebang, 
Um, and, and Brandon Jones had another year to develop. And next year they decided, hey, we got to resign Baker. We might have to franchise or resign Kasicki. We have to resign Preston Williams. The year after that, we have a, a crap ton more guys. And at some point, we're going to have to pay to $100 million. Then I get it. Uh, but for a growing team and a team on the cusp of the playoffs, um, getting ri- rid of the guy who is the, the heartbeat to your team, just I, I, I don't like it. I hear you. Um, and I don't think I don't think this was a favorite move of the front offices either. Um, and it's it begs the question, why did they do it? Because he clearly was very positive um, as a figurehead in the locker room. He was clearly one of the leaders on the team. He was a team captain. Um, and the only thing that I can think of when I look at it is that he was better. He was a better free safety than he was a nickelback. When he was like, when he would played slot corner, he was adequate. Uh, early in his career, I don't think he was very good at a, at a slot corner, but he developed and he definitely got better. I, I honestly, it comes down to what you led off that entire conversation with. I don't believe that he was going to get better at what he's doing than he already is. I think he already reached his ceiling. And I believe that the drafting of Javon Holland kind of made people go, are they going to do something with Bobby McCain? Because I believe Javon Holland can do everything that Bobby McCain did at a higher level. Um, you're definitely correct, though, in my opinion, with the effect that he had and not as, a, as more than just a football player. He was a team captain. He was a leader in the locker room. And I believe McCourty, who was also he was a team captain for the Patriots in 2020, will be able to fill that role in the locker room. It sucks um, as far as just somebody being a good dude. Bobby McCain was a good dude. Um, I wish him the best. Uh, but when it comes down to it, eventually it's there's it's it's very similar to when I was when I went going to school for public relations. I was told this is a science and an art. Football is a sport and a business. It is both. And if you're going to look at the assets that you have and how much you're paying for them and you have someone else on your team who you're now going to be able to pay a lot less, and get a lot more exposure which in other words, Javon Holland, um, you're going to end up cutting your cutting the player that is making more to do the same job. I think it's. I honestly think it's just a business decision. I wish him well. Um, I like the McCourty signing. I think they are going to be. I think he's going to be more of a free safety, and I think Javon Holland will end up playing nickelback. But I know we both are going to miss him. We wish him the best in the future. I don't believe he'll be unemployed very long because the Miami secondary has suddenly become very good and very deep. Um, but that being said, um, I guess we could move on to the, the NFL draft picks. Actually, can I, can I, I just of want course. to touch on one thing before sure. we move on. Um, I just, I feel like I need to go on a little bit of a rant and, and get some <laughs> of my, you know, feels and emotions out there. Okay. Um, Listen, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I, you know, I've put it on Twitter lately and I've talked about it with the other guys. 
I want the best. I want our team so chock full of talent that training camp is an absolute war zone in terms of people trying to, to make the team. And the people that are not going to make the team are talented people. And the people that do make the team, it was such a battle that they're just, they're proud to put the jersey on. I mean, that's that's a little dramatic, but I mean, that's what I would, I, I think any fan would love that. However, um, understanding the NFL is a business first. When, when the F are we going to let someone retire in a Dolphins jersey? When are we going to stop disrespecting the players who left it all out on the field, like a Cameron Wake, like a Yeremiah Bell, like a Rashad Jones, like a Bobby McCain? Like, I understand getting rid of players for, for business reasons, for financial reasons, but how about the guys that goddamn wore your jersey for the majority of their, their career and wore it effing really, really well and represented your franchise the way that you wanted your franchise to be represented? How about you just, how about you let them sit on the roster and effing retire Adolf? What happened to that? Like Jason Taylor even left and played for a couple teams. Yep. Zach Thomas didn't finish in Miami. Yep. Pat Sertain didn't finish in Miami. And to me, it, and, and to me, it's those guys, those career Dolphins, where I find it a huge slap in the face. And, and I'm someone who, who's pretty high up in the business world myself. And, and there's a fine line between business and loyalty and other things like that. And I think the Miami Dolphins and the rest of the NFL can do a, a, a damn better job finding that balance for the certain players who gave it their effing all to, to that franchise. It's right, so it's, no, no, it's it's and, and you make a legit point. It's so rare. It it, it that rarely happens anymore. I mean, it's a joke unless the, you're a quarterback. The, the best no, even if you're a quarterback, the best quarterback who ever did it won a Super Bowl in well, Tampa he left last on year. His own. Uh, he did, but I mean, let's not pretend that relationship wasn't strained. There were some. There was no, a, there were sure. There's there were some things done over the over the years where you could very easily make the case and you could say, Hey, new, new England, what are you doing? This guy brought you five super bowls and this, but this before everything started breaking down, Hey, four debt, four super bowls. And then you started messing with them. You draft another quarterback. You didn't like his trainer, all this little stuff. It's a little petty stuff. And it comes down to, and you don't, you know, it, you know, as better than anybody is, is, is a, uh, a managerial person in your, a company, it comes down to dollars. It's always going to come down to dollars with the exception of a very few people. You're very rarely going to get a Drew Brees situation. And even Drew Brees didn't start in New Orleans. He had his most success there, but you very rarely anymore. You're going to see a player drafted and play their entire career somewhere and then retire like a Polamalu is like the, like the most recent one I can think of JJ Watt. He's gone. All your superstars switch teams. It's, it's it's unfortunate and it's sad, and you have a very legitimate point. Yeah, I mean, if if that superstar or that player, you know, decides they'd be a better fit somewhere else, um, especially because very rarely do you see coaching staffs in place for a long period of time outside them, like Tomlin's or Bill Belichick's and a few others. Uh-huh. So I, I get that. You know, a, a player has a right to make that decision too, and I know everything is complicated. And I also am not, I'm not going to sit here and say, I know what happens behind closed doors. And if Bobby McCain 
or, you know, someone else feels like they, they need to get paid a certain amount of money. That is their right to do that, especially with how short their careers are and what they have to handle and the medicals that can come up later in life. So I get all that, but my fine line is, is money versus value. And I don't think Bobby McCain was, was underplaying his value for what he was getting paid. Now, if Cameron Wake was 40 years old and just came off an ACL and, and the next, and whatever, he had two sacks the year before that, and he's still on a big contract. Listen, I understand that. Um, that's just, it's one of those business decisions where you sit him down and you offer him, you know, all the love and support and, and Hey, as soon as you hang him up, let's, let's be in touch. Um, you're always going to be a dolphin in our book type thing, but um, getting rid of players to save money, if they're, if they're, if they're not underperforming their value, I think that's where I struggle, especially with a guy like Bobby. Um, I just, I think what he brings to the team and all facets of football, the locker room and, and being a teammate, I don't think he was underperforming his value at $7 million. Um, shit, Hunter Henry just got 12. So, I mean, give me a break on that. Yeah. Then that's, well, the, but to be fair, I don't think the I don't think the Hunter Henry signing was a very wise. Um, <laughs> no, it wasn't. It's but, a good example I mean, of of someone not spending stuff intelligently. Yeah, um, yeah, well, we can I, move on. yeah. I, I I hear it, and I think like like we both have, have intimated, we we both we wish him the best. He was a uh, a Miami Dolphin who developed nicely and became a big part of that secondary, and and he'll be missed. And let's hope he can be replaced adequately. Um, one of the players who's going to uh, try to fill his shoes was drafted uh, just a, a week ago today, uh, Friday, uh, in the second round is Javon Holland. Um, now, getting into the first round, we were both sitting there in, in, uh, in Cleveland in First Energy Stadium, and the wind was whipping in off of Lake Erie. And I know we were both kind of, trying to, you know, weather the elements, uh, Cleveland was like snacks. Yes, we did. Snacks were good. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and Cleveland was a very welcoming town. Um, I don't know how soon they're going to be having an event in April in Cleveland again, because it was just the, the worst case scenario as far as weather, other than you know, a freak blizzard blowing in, because it was, the wind chill was in the 30s. It was wet. It was not real pleasant. And the Dolphins did not draft the exact players we want. Now, we were both aware that this could happen. We both said Najee Harris, no matter what, at 18. But we were both perfectly aware that they might not draft Devonta Smith and Najee Harris, but they didn't. The first thing we did say that we both were amenable to happening in the first pick was get to a help and they got to a help. Um, I am not as big a fan as jail of Jalen Waddle as I am of Devonte Smith. I think Devonte Smith is probably the best route runner that's come out of college in the last three or four years. And I think he's going to do very well in Philadelphia, but having faith in the organization, like I do, the Miami Dolphins very specifically wanted Jalen Waddle, and they got him. 
and I believe he is going to be a tremendous asset to Tua. He is going to give them help. And what I started looking at more than anything, because uh, they didn't address running game right away, is how much they started trying to use him, Jalen Waddle, out of the backfield more often in 2020 before he had his ankle injury. They started trying to give him um, runs out of the backfield, which I think is really interesting as far as misdirection. Uh, if if they are going to do a an RPO uh, with a 12 personnel and having Jalen Waddle run counters in the backfield, I started looking at the possibility of doing that. And the more I look at Jalen Waddle uh, and the possibilities he brings to that offense, the more I like it. What are your thoughts on Waddle? Um, so, listeners, if you, um, I'm going to reference something from uh, Jason's podcast he just released with Omar Kelly. And I, I am mind blanking on exactly who our Omar Kelly was talking about and who within the Dolphins organization said this. But when asked about, well, why not this player? Um, or why this player over this player, the answer was, well, that's not what we need. And oh. to tell you, to tell you the truth, when I saw Kyle Pitts go number four and I saw Jalen or um, sorry, if, when I saw Jamar Chase go number five, I felt relieved because deep inside, although I know how talented both those players are, I just didn't love the fit. And I know everyone could blow up and say, Kyle Pitts can fit anywhere. Uh, Jamar Chase can fit anywhere. Great. I'm sh I, I, you're right. They can. But are those two players going to give us the most of what this offense and this scheme needs? And, and the answer is, is honestly no. Um, mm -hmm. We have a couple of – and I'm not comparing talent to talent, but we have Jamar Chases on the team in terms of what Jamar Chase does, maybe not to his level – but we have Parker and we have Williams. Um, we have Kyle Pitts on the team and Mike Kosicki for now. Um, so those are just luxury picks that you you make that pick after you want, just won the divisional round of the playoffs, even though you're not going to get that player because you're not going to be that high in the draft. Um, on to Jalen Waddell. I think it took me all of three seconds after we heard that pick to get excited about it. Um, I, I was pretty convicted that we were going to go in Smith's direction, but like I've expressed many of times, um, I didn't care who we picked out of that, that group of four um, deep down. I wanted it to be one of the, the Alabama boys. And it was um, Jalen model brings something to this team that this team in for as long as I can remember, hasn't had um, and coupled that with, uh, with Will Fuller. And if you look at what the Dolphins blueprint on offense is going to look like, they want to run the, the RPO. They want to have 12 man personnel. They want to do these things. Now, when you line up a Jalen Waddle and a Will Fuller as a defense, what are you supposed to do there? You can't ignore the kid who is as fast as Tyreek Hill. And I'm not saying he's as talented. I'm not doing any of that. He's the fastest player on the field, regardless of who we're playing, bar maybe a, a handful of other players in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Will Fuller is not far behind him. So you can't stop, stack the box. 
you can't key in on, on our run game. You can't rush the house against Tua. You have to play a more conservative style defense. And that makes it even more challenging when you're facing a run pass option where Tua can just hand the ball off. And if you, if you made the mistake of bringing an extra guy, of, of, of bringing the blitz, or there's just that coverage mismatch, you can hit Jalen Waddell on a five-yard slant, and he can run it 95 yards down the field. He can split defenders. He's going to outrun your safeties. And if he doesn't, you have Will Fuller, who, who might catch the ball 40 yards down the field um, in that split second because that's just how fast he is. And the other area of our offense that I expect will get a huge benefit from Jalen Waddle and from Will Fuller is the run game because you can't stack that box anymore. Um, and I know we'll touch later on some of the offensive line moves, but those Jalen Waddle was the best player for this offense, in my opinion, at the end of the day. That's not to say Devonta Smith isn't, isn't better. Um, I think both of us have expressed how much we love him um, in the areas that he's better than Waddle in terms of route running, in terms of how cleanly he catches the ball. But Jalen Waddle also doesn't drop the ball. So I don't know if that's going to be as much of a concern as I thought it could be. I just think Waddle is the best fit out of the entire draft for that offense. I got you. Yeah, that it that um once you start looking at it, and you had mentioned in a previous podcast that one of your only major concerns with Waddle is that he was a body catcher sometimes rather than a hands catcher. It's not consistently that way. And I think as he grows as a player, he's it's a, that's a habit he's going to get rid of. Um, because it's not like he isn't capable of hands catching, and he does it very, very well. And like you said, he doesn't drop a lot of balls. Um, and I was concerned um, at the the second first round pick, which I'll get to in one second, because we both wanted Najee Harris just to keep off- offenses on it or defenses honest, so they couldn't stack the box. But what I started looking at as well is because we've had conversations about what a 12 personnel set will look like in an RPO. And you have to be able to uh, run the ball effectively to completely to run an RPO. But there's more than one way to do that. You don't necessarily have to have Najee Harris back there. If you start researching heavy 12 personnel sets in an RPO and what you can do with a two tight end set, a double slant on one side, set two uh, the two tight ends on the other, and run run a counter running back toward the the two slant side. You get some really interesting looking plays. Uh, to your point, Jalen Waddle running a slant is going to keep defenses honest. They're not going to be able it's to. Scary. It's scary. It's scary to think about. They're not going to be able to sit at home on RPO like they did last year and just say, "Go ahead." run the ball. We'll just wait for you to come to us. They can't do that anymore because Jane Waddle will be 20 yards behind him at that point in time. Um, getting to the second first round pick. Uh, real quick, um, just real quick before you move sure. on. For One sure. little kind of hot take, bold prediction I want to make Yes, is a lot of people are thinking Jalen Waddle, you know, he's not going to be your, your, your main target, he's not going to be your meat and potatoes wide receiver where he's getting a ton of targets, yada, yada. 
he might have, you know, four or five, six um, receptions or targets in a game. Um, he's kind of more of a, like that, a utility in that way. And I actually am, I'm going a complete 180 on that. I think, especially because Tua is so young in his career and developing and is going to, going to be looking for safety valves, someone he can trust and rely on, especially if, if the, if the, um, if the, the pocket's collapsing on him or he has a blitz coming, Jalen Waddle can't be covered. He just, he, it's, it's a fact in man coverage. He cannot be covered. Um, does that mean he's the best wide receiver in the NFL? No, it doesn't. And, the, and that's not where I'm headed with it, but one corner, especially if it, that's going to be a linebacker or if that's going to be a, a nickel or whatever, I mean, there's only so many elite corners and elite guys in the NFL that, that can do that. Um, I actually could see on, on a certain level that Jalen Waddle almost gets Jarvis Landry type of, of targets for that purpose of, I really think he's going to be to a safety valve, um, over the middle, whether it's, it, it's an inside drag route, whether it's that slant, whether it's a bubble screen, whatever, I actually think he's going to be a high volume target wide receiver whereas a lot of other people are seeing the opposite I think he's going to be the safety valve he could definitely be um I'm not I'm not as quite as optimistic as you are on that on that um the, the number of receptions I think you're thinking about but if you look at his film if that's you look not on a perspective yeah yeah there's only one Jarvis Landry for the Miami Dolphins of course um but if you watch Jalen Waddle he doesn't just run slants and sluggo routes and he doesn't, he doesn't no, absolutely. He frequently finds holes in coverage and sits and, and finds a, finds an open space and sits there. Oh, and, yeah. and, and specifically if you watch his freshman year with Tua, he did that a lot. And he was, and I don't believe he's, he's not as he's a, it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a bad comparison to make to say he's not as good a root runner as Devonta Smith. I don't think very many people currently in the NFL are as good a root runner as Devonta Smith is. Um, it doesn't mean he's an awful root runner. He's not as No, he's actually a very decent, yes. like he has a good amount of root tree. And yes. I think what got me the most excited about him is he's already an elite level player in so many areas. And he's a, he's a good, not great route runner. Yes, but he still has a ton of room to grow. So that's like, what what more can this kid do? And I know we haven't seen him, you know, play it down, but he's just that dynamic and that unique that this is kind of one of those players that just they're not going to bust unless you know they're crippled by injuries or, or something like that. He, right. Just his talent is tr is very translatable to what is going on in the NFL. Yes, he's extremely explosive. He's he, he does things that you can't teach, which is is a gift that not a lot of people have, and it's hopefully it 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 pans out for Miami. Um, speaking of explosive, I how quickly you got over Devonta Smith uh, not being drafted and being happy with Waddle was I was I was half of that with Najee Harris once I heard them announce the other Jalen in the first round and Jalen Phillips. We've both said over the last few podcasts, Brian Flores schemes sacks. He schemes pressure on quarterbacks. Now, what if, in addition to this, they got an elite edge rusher 
on that defense, which is exactly what they got. I think they got the best edge rusher in the entire class at 18. I was blissfully happy with that. Once I got over, you know, not drafting Najee Harris, um, I cannot tell you how excited I am to see him wreak havoc. Like you said about Waddle, the only thing you ever have to be concerned about with Jalen Phillips is injury. Uh, I believe a lot of those issues are hopefully behind him. I don't see it as a concern. It was not a concern at Miami in 2020, and he did play a decent amount of games. I think he is going to cause major issues for opposing quarterbacks and opposing tackles in the NFL. I think he and Agba are going to get along famously and cause huge pressure off the edge. What are your thoughts on that? So I'm going to touch on Najee real quick, and then I'm never going to talk about him again. Um, <laughs> I have this, I have this, I I have this life policy, which a lot of Dolphin fans don't. And that's if if you live in the past, you can't move towards your future. Mm-hmm. Um, I I get tired of seeing tweets or people comment it. Well, we we could have had Drew Brees. We didn't have to take Ted Ginn. You know, just uh, cool, great. What is that? What is that going to do for us? Absolutely nothing. What is me um, agonizing over Najee Harris past and that that agonizing lasted the rest of that night. I went to sleep. I woke up and I moved on with my life. Um, You and I both had the same expression, the same expletive, um, the same head movement. The second um, I think I don't even think Najee fully got out of Roger Goodell's mouth before we both mimicked. Um, the same reaction at the same yep. time. And and had to go to the Steelers. Had to go to the Steelers. Sorry. Yeah, you know, which we talked about that too. Yes, um, I know we did. You know, there's there's those yeah, there's those great drafting teams that always pick the players that you knew your team should have taken, and that's why those teams are always good. Whatever, it's fine. When we when we took Jalen Phillips, I wasn't disappointed, um, and I think that's because the hope was still alive that we could trade back in. You know, maybe there's a chance we we get Najee some other way. Um, it didn't happen. It is what it is. Um, I don't wish him the best in Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh <laughs> will at some point stand in our way. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think he's going to be a top five or six back in the NFL. It is what it is. Um, once he was selected, I didn't want us taking a running back. Um, I didn't want Javante Williams. I didn't want Travis Etienne, which he got picked the next pick. So we weren't getting him anyway. Um, I was firm on Najee. Um, once we didn't get him, I, I thought it would be a waste of a high draft pick to try and go and get another running back. Moving on to Jalen Phillips, he's, he's, he's very intriguing, and there's a lot he brings to the table. Uh, he's not a player I feel 100% in my gut on. Um, Every draft, there's always these guys where I just I'm I'm convicted on them. I I have a good feeling, and I take them. I, I want them. And Najee was one of those guys. Waddle is another one of those guys right now, um, and some other guys later in the draft that we'll touch on. Um, but Phillips, because of the red flags, because of the fact he's done it one season, I I'm just not there yet. I don't hate the pick. Um, I applaud the pick. We got the the best pass rusher in the draft on my board. 
Um, so, so that's, that, that goes to show, I, I have a high opinion on him. I'm just not, I'm not a hundred percent and and that's fine. Um, it's just a player I'm going to have to see on the fields in a Dolphins uniform, do what he was drafted to do. I also think not in his first couple of years, but I think he's going to have to be somebody who averages 10 sacks a year for me to justify taking him over a Najee Harris who might score 15 touchdowns in a, in a year. Um, that being said, one of the areas I'm more, I'm more excited to see him in than pass rushing. Um, I think we might've found a big piece to our run defenses issue. When I watched the tape of Jalen Phillips, he's a violent run defender. Yes, he is. Um, he, he, he plays real, real freaking hard. Um, in run defense, just as hard as he plays on, in, in the pass rush. Uh, our run defense is something that's frustrated me for, for a long, long time, um, especially in those situations where you're in a close game, um, whether we have a small lead or we're behind or we're tied. And the other team, um, and I think it's obvious I'm talking about the New England Patriots, mm-hmm. they'll run the ball and we'll never see the ball again. And it, 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 it kills me inside because those to me are winnable games. And this is the type of player that will go and elevate that part of our game. I think tremendously. And, and that's a, a, just a part of the game I've, I've been missing for so long. So I love that in terms of the pass rushing, I think he was born with this GPS pre-installed in his body, in his DNA for where the quarterback is on the field and the way he moves with such fluidity and those loose hips and he can change direction. Yep. All those things to me are telling me he has, he has the natural tools to take his career wherever he wants it to go. Um, he can be an elite level player and a perennial pro bowl player an all pro guy gold jacket, potentially down the line. For me, it's about, is he's got to go do it now. Um, he's got to stay healthy. Those, those concerns have to be behind him. And if they are, I love the player, loved the tape. He was the best, the best pass rusher on my board to the point where I think um, if he didn't have those issues, he was a bona fide top eight to 10 player uh, drafted in this previous draft. So yeah. yeah, I can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, he is, and it's it is you can't you can't ignore the concussions. They happen, but he was he was a five star recruit. He was one of the top recruits in the country um, when he was. He was the top. He yeah. was the number one recruit. Yep. Yeah. Um, but he does all those things very very well, and that is something that I believe sets him apart from Rousseau, uh, who I didn't. I, I was I was saying for a long time, you know, I don't know that because for a while. Gregory Rousseau was was the the top regarded edge rusher coming out of Miami, and I'm like, you know, I'm not 100 percent sure he is. Well, his upside, I, I, I'm not sure his upside is better either. Um, but the one one of the things that makes him stand head and shoulders above is he's a fantastic edge rusher. But like you said, he also sets the edge well, really well against the run. You're not gonna you're not going to fool him very easily on end runs. He's going to chase him down. He, he is, like you said, you got the GPS. And if you give him the assignment of see ball, get ball, he's going to get that ball. Um, yeah. You can't he ignore the concussions. Tools. 
He does. He one hundred percent. All the can't ignore the concussion. If, if he plays 14, 14 to seventeen games, I have no doubt in my mind. Right. He will be everything as advertised. One hundred percent. As long as he stays injury free, the juice is worth the squeeze on it. Um, we touched on Javon Holland briefly, uh, and I specifically, I actually did a piece on him not too, too long ago um, when I did a, a few safety write-ups. He is, in my opinion, the he was the most obvious Brian Flores pick in the entire draft just because he is so versatile and he can play nickel corner, he can play safety, he is a heat-seeking missile when it comes to finding ball carriers in the run game, too. Um, I like that pick an awful lot for Miami. And I, we, we, we had heard rumblings that they were looking at someone out of the Pac-12 to be drafted, and it ended up being Javon Holland. What are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on that pick? Javon Holland for, I would say, a good year was a guy I just was in love with. He, um, I have two favorite college football programs and that's Michigan and Oregon. Um, so I, I always love players from those schools, maybe not on the offensive side of those schools, but, um, they do a really good job of funneling in talent on the defensive side of the ball. I also love Syracuse, but they've been irrelevant since the days of Donovan McNabb. So, um, <laughs> You just forget about the orange, mm-hmm. um, but they, they get me where I need to go in basketball. Most there you for go. the most part. Um, Javon, how, so for about a year, I was, I was hundred percent on the Javon Holland train. Um, and then you get to the end of the college football year and you start doing some scouting and, and obviously there's going to be some other players that you fall in love with. Um, you know, for me, for a, a, a while there, it was Mareg. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I went on this, this ridiculously um, probably not safe scouting binge of, of college football players in April to the point where I was sleeping three, four five hours. And I was up till two, three in the morning. Um, Cause you know, I have a full-time job too. Right. And at the, at the last second, other guys caught my eye, like uh, Richie Grant. I, lo- I started falling in love with Richie Grant, and I think he's going to be an absolutely fantastic pickup for the Falcons. Um, Jamar Johnson um, loved him. I-, I loved his natural ability to find, find the football. But I was still still on the Holland bagwagon. Um, I like Nazarel Dean, too. Um, what disappoints me today about the Holland pick that didn't – that's kind of changed – my feelings a little bit and it's in no part to Javon Holland was I loved the idea of of having this deep secondary where Javon Holland could play his role in the area. I think he, he plays best right now. And that's, that's coverage. Um, So I love the idea of having Bobby play center field, like he has been having Javon in the slot, which he, he may still, well, I mean, Jason McCourty might be our free safety. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, having Brandon Jones learning behind Eric Rowe, ha- who's, you know, just turned into this bonafide tight end eraser. And then moving Nick Natum to the boundary to sit and learn with, with Noah Igbenogany behind two of the best in the game. Um, so I, I, I just fell in love even more with our secondary 
when we made that Holland text, uh, losing McCain's changed my view a little bit. I just think I might be a little sour on that move. It's, it's, it's a fresh wound. Um, I do think a future that has Javon Holland as our safety um, is a bright future. Uh, I, I love the kid. And I was going to touch on this with some of the, the later picks, but we have a theme with Brian Flores's drafts and Chris Greer's drafts. And that's that the first thing I wrote down when I scouted every single player they drafted outside of Larnell Coleman, because I didn't know who the hell he was. Um, <laughs> that's the same problem. Was the very, the very first thing I wrote down about every single one of these players was high motor, high motor, high motor, high motor to the point I felt like a broken record when I was writing my scouting reports. Um, Javon Holland is high, high, high motor. Uh, that motor doesn't know how to turn off. Same with Phillips, same with, with Waddle, and some of these other guys we'll touch on. But the kid, besides the high motor, he has the intelligence. He has the IQ. I think he's someone that can command the defense once he earns that respect. Um, the defense is not as young as the offense, so there is some vets in there um, that he's going to have to come in and he's going to have to earn that respect. But I, he's he's a guy who I think will make us forget about Minka Fitzpatrick awfully, awfully quick. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll uh, I don't think we'll have to say that name very much more. Um, and it, it's it, bashing Minka Fitzpatrick is, is I think it's a thing of the past. I think everybody needs to move on, including myself. And I, I still I'm, root for him, to be honest. Um, I, I hate the way he left agreed. and demanded a trade, but I, I loved I loved the player for Miami. I, I'm not that switch didn't get fully turned off and right. you know, good, good for him. And unless he's playing my, yeah. Now the other thing that you can say a lot about a lot of the Flores picks and Flores players is not only the high, the high motor, almost everyone they drafted. If you looked at what they did in their pro days and even going back to last year, they're extremely athletic. I can't remember where I saw the graphic, but, the if you if you're going by athletic scores, 40s, verticals, broad jump, three cone shuttles, the Miami Dolphins drafted the most athletic draft class in 2021. Now, another guy, and he is a tackle that shame on me, I didn't know well enough. Um, and I still don't I'm know. excited to talk about him. Yeah, Liam Eikenberg. I didn't know him well enough and shame on me for not knowing him well enough. I didn't see him coming. I thought they were going to go after someone, a right tackle, like a Jalen Mayfield, like a, uh, I, uh, Tevin Collins. Um, and I never saw him coming. Now he's extremely athletic, especially if you look at his shuttle and his three cone that gives his pro day. How do you think he translates if they decide to move him to right tackle, that's my only big concern with him. I know he didn't allow a sack when he played left tackle, but I'm curious and what the dolphins have done in the past, moving players from tackle to guard and guard to tackle concerns me a little bit. How do you think Liam Eikenberg projects if they put him at right tackle? So I will second you in saying um, this was the only pick of the draft that came off as a surprise to me. Um, besides trading our fifth round, that one, that one surprised me because I felt like we, we needed more of those middle round picks. Um, but we can touch on that later. 
he was the one, the only one that really surprised me. Um, and you know how I know they had a really good draft? That's because I can't pick a favorite pick of the draft. They're all my favorite picks of the draft. And Liam Eichenberg, um, and I apologize if, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not, but, you know, good on us if you are, might be the most boring player um, in the draft. <laughs> Even his welcome videos, uh, just absolutely monotone, is what it is. But the, ne- the, the, the second thing, the second trend with the Flores Greer drafts, um, you got the two things. You have really high motor. And obviously, uh, versatility plays a big part. Um, and the other part is intelligence, football intelligence. And this is where I'm going to calm your nerves on Liam Eichenberg. Good. He might be, aside from Rashawn Slater, he might be the most technically sound, fundamentally sound player um, on the offensive line in this draft class. And because of his high, high football IQ, and if you listen to his, his interviews after being picked, um, his media availabilities and, and, and whatnot, the thing that stuck out to me that he, he repeated, and I don't even think he did it on purpose, I think he repeated it because it's who he is, is efficiency and effectiveness and fundamentals. And I think that's what's going to define him, and I think that's what kept Ian Book off the ground um, in 36 straight, he went 36 straight games without allowing a sack. Hmm. Um, and I think one of the things he's that's not being talked about a ton with him is his ability in the run game and even to get to the second level. Is he the most athletic? No. Um, does he have the best measurables? No. He's actually a little bit under that threshold for tackles in terms of arm length. Is he incredibly intelligent? Does he know how to manipulate his defender? Does he know how to square his shoulders? Yeah, that's one of the best things he knows how to do. Um, I think this is going to be one of those guys who uh, just comes out of the draft and is just a mainstay on this team. Um, he's like he's going to be like Jesse Davis on crack. Um, I think he's going to earn Flores' trust real early. Um, I, and I, I say on crack because Jesse Davis may – like we all – He's like a mainstay on the team, it almost. I, I, but I, I don't love what he puts out, out there on film. Like, it, it, in some ways, it's like he's overstayed his welcome. But he's just like, he's just one of those mainstay guys that just earned Flores' trust early. Um, I think that's Liam Eichenberg, but a lot more. I think he's going to be a, a, a sound piece to the offense. I don't think he gets hurt. I think he's going to be one of those guys that you can rely on. Um, and if you put him on the right side, on Tua's blind side, I feel comfortable because he's just really good at not letting his quarterback get sacked. Um, I know he can play inside as well. And I know a lot of analysts, you know, had him pegs um, maybe moving inside. Um, I don't think they're going to go that route. Um, I kind of love, I kind of love the idea of him, protecting to his blind side um just another just it's it, it's frustrating because Flores and Greer give you all the clues and you just got to go and find the puzzle pieces and put them together 
And, you know, you've seen so many people on Twitter say after these picks where they're like, the pick gets announced and you're like, what? And then not five minutes later, after you do your research or like, um, even I had the reaction, like what? But Mm -hmm. I did the research prior and and it took, again, not, not minutes for me to understand it where it made sense. And I'm like, you know, good on you guys. Yeah. I'm going to have to say, Sean, that is probably the first and only Jesse Davis on crack comparison we're ever going to hear for Liam Eikenberg. But so, so kudos to you on that. Uh, I like to be unique. Thank you. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, he is. And I don't think it's a bad thing if we don't hear his name a lot. Uh, Usually if you hear an offensive lineman's name, it's coming out of a, a referee's mouth after he throws a flag. So you really don't want to hear too much from him. Um, he, uh, the more you look at him, the more you go, wow, he's just a solid all around player. He he's doesn't, just good. he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He doesn't get beat very often. Um, yeah, I think, I think he could be a, like you said, could be a mainstay for years to come. He seems like he doesn't have any, any health issues. Uh, he's simply a good guy. And even though, um, even though he's his interviews were a little a little lackluster, a little boring. That's not a bad a thing. Either. Yeah, not not too bad for an offensive lineman. That's perfectly fine. No. And I do love the Mister Incredible comparisons. Once you've seen that, you can't unsee it. He is he is the personification of of Pixar's Mister Incredible from The Incredibles. He really is. He's he's phenomenal. Um, and for for our younger listeners, real quick, um, the best way I I, I can sum up. Liam Eikenberg is this. He's going to be a solid 80 rating player on Madden for the the majority of his career. He's going to be boring as shit. And we're going to love having that boring as shit 80 rated player on our team. Yeah. We, you know what? If you look back through the, the really good offensive linemen that, um, offensive lines that we had in the 80s and 90s, there were a lot of boring players on those. But you know what? Give them all to me. I'll take yep, it. Yep, they sure kept Dan Marino upright an awful lot. And then um, give me that one Richmond Webb. Yes. I just need one. Yes. It's really all, it is all you need. Uh, we've got a few candidates for it. Hopefully one of them pans out. Um, the other guy that I was pleased with, actually there's two more that I was pleased with, but the, one, the, the, the first one was Hunter Long. Uh, the tight end that Miami picked up in round three. And he's interesting because I did do, I, he, I did scout him and he is a guy who I'm, I'm, I am notorious for categorizing a lot of players in this. He doesn't do any one thing extremely well, but he does a lot of things, a lot of things really good. Um, That encapsulates Hunter Long. And there were two players when I tweeted about them uh, over the course of the last few months that I got some blowback from their fan bases and not in a negative way, just for saying, you know what, you might want to take a better look at this guy. Uh, One of them was Khalil Herbert and the other one was Hunter Long, Hunter Long at a Boston college. Out of nowhere, I started getting uh, comments from, from Boston college fans saying, you know what? You might want to take a better look at this guy because he's just a really, really solid all-around player. Now, the one big knock on him that I've heard um, is that, oh well, he's not going to not going to get a lot of separation. And my answer to that is, 
from who? Who are they going to have covering him if they running a if they run a uh, no one left? No yeah, one left. if they're if they're going to run a heavy personnel twelve offense, which I could see them doing a lot with Hunter Long being a blocker. Who's going to have, who's who's going to be covering him? Uh, a, a Sam linebacker, maybe. I'm not too concerned about him getting separation from a big heavy linebacker. I'm just I'm not concerned about that at all. I think he could be a very pleasant surprise and a very, very good compliment to Mike Kosicki. I think he is, he is to you, to use your, your analogy. He is Adam Shaheen on crack. He does a lot of things. Adam Shaheen does, but he does them all. At oh, all. I have one more crack reference coming for you. Okay. So well, we, we live, we, we live for crack references. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I guess that's a theme of tonight's show, um, which <laughs> Um, I didn't say yet, but I was itching, itching, itching to get to, to this show because um, it was our first time together since the draft. Yes. And we had to push we had to push it an extra couple of days uh, due to some some other commitments. But I was really excited to get here. Um, Hunter Long. So. This is funny, and it, it always makes me really, really mad is I'll get within the last few days of the draft. And out of nowhere, this player will come onto my radar for no reason. And I just get this weird feeling about it. And when I was doing my scouting, um, tight ends were kind of the last group I really, you know, dug deep into. And when I was doing my mock draft that I unfortunately never got to release, because I took way too much time on it because I was way too thorough. And I wanted to be one of those guys that doesn't put out a mock, just to put out a mock. I wanted mine to actually, you know, maybe come to fruition. And I, you know, I, I'm going to have to get on the ball sooner next year. Let's just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. But I got to Miami's third round pick and Hunter Long was on the board. And we missed on Kyle Pitts in my mock draft. We missed on Pat Fryermuth in my mock draft and Hunter Long was sitting there and, you know, I, I rewatched the tape. I, I dove into, um, I did another deep dive into him and all of a sudden I was looking at a player that no one was talking about for the dolphins, but made so much damn sense. And lo and behold, it happened. Now, what really put him on my radar, and he, he came into my radar way, way late in the process. I, I didn't pick up on him at the Senior Bowl. Um, I didn't pick up on him a month ago. This was literally a guy I picked up on in the last week of the draft, and that's because uh, Mr. On Crack himself, Mel Kuyper, started <laughs> just just promoting this kid as, as the second-best tight end, hands down, in the draft. And I'm like – all right, Mel, you're on crack. Um, you're one of the most eccentric, besides Dick Vitale, TV sports personalities there is. But, I and you're awfully wrong a lot of times, but let me see what this is about. And then, you know, you start looking around and uh, other places start uh, validating that. And Hunter Long just, he, he makes so much sense. And and I think there's still Dolphins fans out there that, that just don't understand it. And there's, there seems to be these two spectrums, these two extremes with Hunter Long. You have Charlie Cast Casserly, 
saying he's going to be a Pro Bowl tight end we're talking about in two years. And then you have the other extreme that's uh, what what does he do great? Uh, you know, he, he just like what what does he bring to the table? And I think both ex- both are extremes. I don't think we're looking at a player that's going to be in the Pro Bowl in the next two or three years. Um, that doesn't mean he'll never get there. Uh, I think he's he's somebody who's really really freaking smart and. Because of that intelligence, there's certain areas to his game which he does excel that doesn't require elite metrics and measurables and speed and athleticism. And the one thing he is really, really good at is finding his soft spot in the zone. And uh, I love that about him. Um, I love his dependability. He led the FBS in receptions last year over everyone's boy, Kyle Pitts. Uh, he's just, he's going to be really good. Um, I saw on Twitter, someone made the comparison to Todd Heap. Um, I didn't hate that comparison. I'm not, I don't love comparisons. I think they're fun because it gives you kind of an idea of what maybe you can expect. But at the end of the day, these guys are, you know, their own individual players. I think he's going to be a major benefit in in the 12 personnel and the RPO. I think he's the yin to Mike Kosicki's yang. Um, I was trying to shoot down anyone's thoughts of Mike Gusecki, you know, being on the outs just because we got Hunter Long because they're they're not they don't even play the same position the way I look at it. Um, but after, you know, the Bobby McCain thing today, I don't know what to believe. Maybe these these Twitter people are right um, is what it is. Love the pick. Can't wait to watch him. I don't think he's going to require three years like a lot of tight ends do. I also don't know that he's going to be a major contributor next season. Um, but I do think he will be uh, a contributor faster than most drafted tight ends. Yeah, there's a there's a, a flip side to that uh, adage of he doesn't do anything really well. He doesn't do anything really poorly either. There's he doesn't have a no. He does he, nothing he, poorly. Yeah, you don't you don't look at any facet of his game and say, oh, that's this is where this is going to cost you. This is going to cost a team someday because he can't do this. There's nothing like that in his game. Um, moving on to the last two picks, I would love to wax philosophical about Lauren Coleman, the offensive tackle out of Massachusetts, they draft in the seventh round, but I simply don't know enough about him. I've looked at what I could find on him and he seems like a, a project pick and a depth pick and someone that I suspect will end up on the practice squad. He's a monster. He's six, seven, every bit of, every bit of 300 pounds and seems to have a lot of good measurables. Um, but I didn't know about him. And I, I've made the comment on, on social media that no matter how prepared you are, you think you are for a player. Um, and you hope that you have your own, you know, personal pet projects. Like mine was John Bates. I loved John Bates. The second I started looking at him, and I was hoping he got drafted. He got picked. He got picked by Washington in the fourth round. So good for him. I'm very happy for him. Just a little shout out. Had nothing to do with the Dolphins. Wanted to slip that in there real quick. The other guy that I didn't know about, and you can you can say all you want to say about Larnell Coleman. You have completely have the floor on him because I don't know enough about him to speak intelligently, um, or as at least intelligently as I'm capable of. The guy that I wasn't prepared that I didn't see coming was Jared Dokes. 
the running back out of Cincinnati, I, their last I wanna, pick. I want. I want to take. I want to take the reins on that. Okay, you you go first. If go you don't mind. No, go ahead. I think in our our pre our last pre draft uh, conversation, uh, we had that podcast that um, the file was corrupted or whatever, and it didn't get released. Yes. But, but I remember specifically talking about Jared Dokes on that podcast, and he was that one player that if you really do your homework and you really do your own scouting instead of relying on ESPN mock drafts or, or whoever else's big boards, if you really do your own work, you might find a guy or two that really catches your eye. And I, I specifically remember Jared Dokes being that guy. And I took a picture of my big board the second we made that pick and put it on Twitter. And I have him dead in the middle um, of running backs. Uh, and that's pretty high up uh, compared to where he was drafted just because he was that one player caught my eye. Uh, he's, he's, he's a power guy. You know, he likes to run through people, but he's also quick and elusive. Um, not, that's not his strong suit, but compared to what you think he might be, um, He's he's surprisingly well in that area, and I think having to share a backfield and some early career injuries um, kind of put him off the radar of radar of guys. Does that mean he's going to be our 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 third or second running back or first someday? I don't really know. Um, I, I just love what he brings. Um, you know, he's on the outside looking in at a roster spot. All those things. Um, love the kid. Very, very excited about that pick. Larnell Coleman, no clue. He's, it seems to be athletic, seems to have some sort of ceiling, um, that's worth taking him. Uh, he's a UMass guy. Uh, Chris Greer went to UMass. Maybe he got some inside tape or film or, or advice or whatever on him. Uh, I trust both the guys making decisions for our roster. Um, you know, maybe he's a guy that sits on the practice squad for a year or two and develops. Um, I'm not really worried about it. I actually do and do like our offensive line depth, although we may be missing elite talent. I think it's a deep group, a versatile group, um, a group that can survive an injury or two. Um, so, yeah, a good, solid seventh round picks. Um, we ended up taking a running back. I hope he, just like Miles Gaskin, maybe this summer, next summer, uh, busts his ass, catches, you know, some guy's eyes on the team. He earns a spot. Great. Um, other than that, I, I don't have much to comment on with them. Um, we only took four undrafted free agents, which goes to show you the depth of our roster and the fact that we don't have to go attack the undrafted free agent market like we have in years past. Um, so that to me is a sign of development, a sign of progression with the roster. Um, Chip, you have any other, you know, final opinions on our draft? Well, the, the very quickly, what you, what you point, just pointed out, you cannot say enough about what this front office has done in the last two years, going from picking up players off the street, basically, in 2019 to now, 
where, like you said, they're not taking that many players anymore because there is they've got gotten to a point now where there is competition at every position, and a lot of it is with 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 talent, with high upside guys. Um, very briefly on Jared Dokes, the one thing that I saw when I researched what his his Twitter account he tw- he posted in the middle of the draft. If you want to keep your quarterback clean, draft me. And that, to me, spoke volumes. I love the kid's attitude. Wishing for the best for him. He's a violent runner. Um, he right with the injuries, and he does run with some good body control. So we'll see. That's really it. I think it was I'm happy. Wonderful- I am happy that you just brought that up because he had a few tweets during the draft. Yeah. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that you have a guy that's aware of his situation yep. that knows there's a, a better chance than not that he's going undrafted, who knows that he's going to have to fight for his dream. And that, that to a, a freaking T is the exact type of player I want in our training camp. 100%. I think Brian Flores does too. So Now, before we wrap up, I know we're getting towards the end of the show. Um, we do a great job talking about the Dolphins, but I just I wanted to share my thoughts, and I wanted to grab some closing thoughts on you on just the draft overall, and on what you saw from other teams. Which obviously we we don't pay as much attention to those teams, but you know I, I like to think we're not stupid either. So can I um, can I jump in on this one I'm real quick? Because there's there's two yeah, two very quick. Yeah, I, I want. You yeah, I want I want you to go first. Let me okay. know a team that you know might have done well, a team that might have done poorly. That you know other people are, are, have different opinions. You go ahead. There's two of them, and I I hit them both. Before when I when I hit right, when I hit completely wrong, uh, I don't understand what the Raiders did. I don't understand them. I, I understand that Alex Leatherwood fits their scheme well. I think he's a good fit for their team. I don't know why they drafted him there. I think he would have been available much later. I think he'd been available in the middle of the second round. I could I could be wrong, but I don't understand. The Leatherwood pick baffled me. The team that I was mocking, not in our, I believe in our last podcast, that had a phenomenal draft, in my opinion, was the Chicago Bears. The Bears, I, I don't know what exactly is going on there, uh, but they drafted like a team with nothing to lose, and they got Justin Fields. They got a few other players that I that there's a kid they dropped into the sixth. So I can't I, his name eludes me. That should have been the third round pick, and I went Newsom. Yes, the thank you. Receiver, the slot yes, guy? Yeah, yes, yeah. and I'm like. What, 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 he's still there in the sixth. And I, and I didn't know he was still there. And I watched, I looked back through, once I saw that, I looked back through all of Chicago's picks. I think Chicago had, I think Miami had a very, very good draft. I think they have four day one starters potentially on the they got, which is more than you could possibly hope for. But I think Chicago had one of the best drafts in the entire league, just my opinion. Um, but hey, that's what I get for making fun of Ryan Pace, I guess. Um, he went and got Justin Fields, and I think they, I think he might have saved his job. We'll say. 
So I, I'm going to talk about three teams, but I do want to comment on, on the Bears real quick. And this is kind of the way I've been summing up the Justin Fields pick uh, with friends and, and, you know, just people I talk to day to day. I loved the pick for the Bears, but I hated the pick for Justin Fields. Um, and let me elaborate on that and saying I didn't, I didn't love and I didn't hate the Bears draft. However, to your point, was this seemed like a draft that I don't, I don't, I don't know how it's going to play out. Um, but it seemed like a draft that that's main purpose was to elongate the the careers of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. <laughs> and I, I don't say that I, I actually don't say that in a joking fashion. Um, I don't think they should have had their jobs going into this offseason, um, despite the Bears making the playoffs. I I, I think that they've mismanaged talent. I think they have a really good running back in David Montgomery that they couldn't scheme for to save their life until, you know, the very end of that, that last season. Um, I think, you know, they have a good defense, but I, I just, it seemed like a draft that was built for the sole purpose of, of keeping their jobs longer because now, now they can go out and say, well, we have Justin Fields. Um, let's let's see how our vision with this guy, you know, tracks. At the same time, I, I just, I, I don't trust the organization. Um, I don't trust their history. I don't trust, and I said, let's not live in the past, but their most recent past has shown um, I, I just, I don't trust the people that are running that organization from the head coach to the GM, whereas, you know, you hear me say it with Flores and Greer, those are two people that can make some questionable decisions and they have my vote of confidence. The bears are the exact opposite of that. Now, a few teams I want to touch on, um, a team that I thought had a real good draft an underrated draft, and being in Western New York, I've gotten to see people's reactions, you know, up close and personal. And I don't think that those reactions have been fair or, or backed by doing your homework. I really liked what the Bills did, um, especially with what they had on the board at their picks. I know cornerback finding, you know, a partner for Tredavious White is you know a pretty high priority and i i'm sure that that was a priority in the draft but the bills reacted like a smart franchise and they didn't reach for anybody based on need at the same time they took two pass rushers that i think couldn't be a better fit for that organization i think a guy like greg rousseau who has a massively high ceiling, has all the potential, but it's raw and needs to be coached. I looked at him in my pre-draft process and said, he needs to go to the right team. If he's going to reach his, his max potential, he's got to go to the right team. I, I think he went to a team 
that has a head coach that's a defensive mind. Yep. Who, I mean, that that that, that whole team right now is just a solid foundation, and it's going to be a place where, um, like with Javon Holland in our secondary, it's going to be a place where you can nurture a young guy, where you can afford to take a guy with, with high potential who needs some time, and you're not going to throw him in the fire, and you're not going to ruin his career. Like maybe a Josh Rosen. I don't know if Josh Rosen ever would have been, you know, great. But it, it's kind of one of those situations where I could see a Greg Russo sink or swim based on where he got drafted, based on who he had coaching, developing, and mentoring him. And I, I also know that that, that team is going to lose uh, a, a mainstay of their own and Jerry Hughes sooner than later just because he's getting up there in age. Yep. And now you got a pro-ready guy like Carlos Basham that can come in and be that power rusher um, who plays violently and plays with that attitude. And I also love their pick of Marquez Stevenson just because I loved Marquez Stevenson. And, you know, Cole Beasley is getting older. So all in all, I really liked their draft, and I liked that they didn't reach for guys just because they had a hole. Um, two teams that got graded on their drafts really well that I didn't love. Um, the first one I'm going to start with another divisional team, and that's the New York Jets. Um, I think you can look at their draft and look at the names on that on that class on paper and be like, I like that guy and I like that guy and I like that guy. I don't think that was the right draft for them coming into the first year of a rebuild. I, I get some of their logic in terms of let's, let's get Zach Wilson some tools. Let's get him the offensive line. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I didn't love their positional you know, pick like like the guys that they picked to be that supporting role. I also, I also am not sold on Zach Wilson. I'm not sold on. It, it, I, let's touch on this on another time because I know I know we're, we're pushing the time now. I'm also not sold on Trevor Lawrence, and maybe we can talk on that next week because I have some interesting thoughts to be, to back that up. But I I, I don't love. The, that the wide receiver they go and get is a slot guy. That doesn't mean I, I loved Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore was one of my top five receivers. Would have lo- I, I love him. Just I, I don't love that that was the guy that they went and got. Same can be said for Michael Carter. I understand Robert Sala comes from the Niners where they can turn a lot of different interesting positions into high-functioning players um i just I, I i didn't love their draft and they didn't offense defense and their defense is going to be just absolutely torrid next yes, season in is. my opinion yeah. um they 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 could be just as bad next season as they were last season in my opinion so i don't think that um it's responsible for some of the draft analysts to go and put an a a minus B plus on their draft because while they did get some good players, I think the draft strategy overall just didn't make sense for me. And and 
And the, the one other team who's been really highly rated for their draft, and I am not a fan of theirs to an extent either, is the L.A. Chargers. I love the Rashawn Slater pick. Um, I know you and I talked about it at the draft. There yep. couldn't be a more perfect fit. Once you start going down their draft, they they got they got really a lot of praise for taking Asante Samuel. Great. Asante Samuel is not meant to be a cornerback one. He's meant to be a very good cornerback, and I think he's going to be in the NFL. I think he has all the talent, but he's not a CB1. Um, their CB1 right now, I didn't even know who he was until I started doing my draft research based on teams and needs and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I just, I didn't love their guys. I didn't love their wide receiver um, that, that they picked up, uh, who I'm guessing is going to be Mike Williams replacement. I don't like their, I didn't love the, the pass rushing. I just, it, it was another, another, you know, draft where you can look at their, I guess them on paper and, and say, Oh, I know that guy. He, he must be good. Um, type thing where I, but, but I just don't think it was that strong of a draft. They got a couple good players that that might fit, but again, it's like Samuel is not going to be your CB one. Um, just like Elijah Moore is not going to be your wide receiver one. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's just. Little things like that, where I think that there was maybe a little bit more praise than there should, and I'm not sure Justin Herbert is a recreation of Patrick Mahomes yet. Um, I think he had a really good rookie year, but I also think that the smarter defensive teams, like the Dolphins, um, exposed him very easily in terms of getting him shut up. To the point yes. where his own wide receiver, Keenan Allen, in his post-game analysis said, we pretty much threw out all of the playbook uh, because Justin Herbert, you know, he, we didn't know what to do with him. Yeah, once you just um, once so you start I, disguising your um, your reads, once you start disguising your coverages on him, he starts having problems. That's correct. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just tired overall of giving these quarterbacks praises like Herbert and Burrow, and I'm sure the same could happen with Trevor Lawrence. Um, I'm not I'm not praising quarter quarterbacks for for filling up the stat sheet when their team wins four games. Yeah, just like. Um, but I, I, I'm not going over overboard with praise for Tua because his team won 10. But he, I'm certainly not knocking Tua because his team won, won 10. Well, like a big part of the NFL is winning football games. Tua's a, a, a known winner, and he won football games, whether his defense helped out a lot with that. It, it is what it is. But I'm not, not getting on the Burrow, the Herbert, the Lawrence train until they start winning games in the NFL. And that, that's so great. far, remains to be seen. And um, I think with that, that's all I got. Do uh, you have any closing thoughts or words? No, just it was a wonderful experience.
experience. If anybody who's listening ever has a thought about going to an NFL draft, next year it's in Vegas. So if you ever have the opportunity to go, just do it. It was worth the experience, even though it was cold and rainy. It was a great time. I think Cleveland did a wonderful Special shout out to the city of Cleveland yes. and the people of Cleveland. Um, yes. I was very impressed with the people. Um, I Again, I'm used to going to Buffalo where the people are the worst type of people you, you can imagine. And I don't mind saying that. I, I get to interact <laughs> with them on a daily basis. I, I was very impressed with the people of Cleveland. And as a city overall, I think it's a city that's very slept on, probably because of its location in, you know, Ohio or the Northeast, whatever. But people, if you get a chance or you're driving through Ohio, definitely make a stop in Cleveland. Agreed. Um, I'm very impressed with them. What? But at the same time, I was not impressed with the NFL and how they promoted the draft versus how they operated the draft. Um, I, I think they way over, over, oversold it. Um, I think if you were lucky enough to have been vaccinated in time and lucky enough to get picked to, you know, be in the draft, um, I'm sure it was a fun experience, but um, for for a league that was expecting 50,000 people, I can assure you 50,000 people did not attend that draft. Um, f- between the people in the actual draft theater, which wasn't that many, and the people in the stadium, um, and what the NFL offered in terms of engagement, I thought were all... Um, vastly different than what the NFL led, you know, most people to believe the draft this year was going to be. Um, I don't fault them fully because we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I do think, I, I know in my county that I live in, we've already hit the 50% um, of our population has been vaccinated. So I do expect by next year when we get to Vegas, um, I think things will open up and it'll be a hell of an experience. And I hope and expect that you and I will be boots on the ground again and we will have more opportunity to bring our fans the content that they're looking for. Agreed. Cannot wait. And uh, with that, we will uh, talk to all of you next week. Um, this was another great episode of The Outsiders. Yes, sir. Fins up.